Welcome to Tech by Design. Design is passion, design is energy, design is enthusiasm. On these episodes, we'll talk to people who exude all those things about the products they build. Come join us. Welcome everyone to another episode of Tech by Design. My name is Nick Surface. I'm the CEO of the Richmond Technology Council, and I will be your host today. As always, this season is presented by Shaco Mobile by Design. Uh, for those of you that don't know Shaco, at Shaco, all they know is mobile. It's in their DNA. They design and build mobile solutions for a future that is immersive, predictive, and connected. Uh, their work is measurable. It's built to make an impact. And they do everything from mobile to wearables to the metaverse, AR, VR, kiosks, and they have award-winning digital experiences that make life easier and better. If you haven't checked them out, Shaco.com local Richmond company doing great things on the mobile side. With us today is Mike McCoy. Mike is with Mach 37, and uh, I'll toss it to you, Mike. Uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, Nick. Yeah, uh, my name is Mike, and Mach 37 is a cybersecurity accelerator. We're located in Virginia, but we accept applications for emerging technology, cyber companies, uh, cyber tangentials from all over the United States and the world. We've been in existence since 2013. Had over 80 companies in the portfolio. They've gone on to raise rounds afterwards. Most are very successful and still in business. And uh, we really help to accelerate the maturity of startup business models, introducing them to ecosystem partners, uh, providing them ex access to expert mentors, and really help them know what they don't know and meet who they don't know. Mike, thanks for coming on today because we, uh, frankly, we haven't had anybody from the cybersecurity space yet on this show. And not only the cybersecurity space, but really nobody from the startup accelerator space. And you're kind of bridging those two divides. So today we're talking about designing for cybersecurity startups. Uh, and kind of when researching Mach 37 and looking a little bit about how you differentiate what you do and uh, how your program is a little bit different, it sounds like you all have kind of a 90-day plan or a 90-day program that you put startups through. Can you talk a little bit about the elements of that program? What's the goal? How do you evaluate success? What are we looking at in that 90 days? Yeah. So Mach 37 focuses heavily on the lean startup process. A lean startup treats everything, every startup, and every business model and idea that you have as an assumption and a hypothesis. And we don't really believe anything you or anybody is saying until you show validation of your customer discovery, getting traction, and eventually validation of your go-to-market strategy. And so throughout the 90 days, we teach lean startup principles because you can't do what you don't know. But once you know the process, then we help really hone in your strategy of maybe what's the first thing to focus on out of your entire business model. Uh, what's the highest risk and what's the thing that you need to validate first and who do you need to contact uh, and get that interest and next steps? Uh, what we've seen is that startups don't have a single valley of death. They have many valleys of death and they're strung together. So right when you get through their first one, there's another one right behind and it's accumulation of successful transitions from one valley of death to the next as you go into your startup maturity that will increase the likelihood of your startup being successful. And so Mach 37 is less about the actual writing of content inside the accelerator, but it is talking about your concepts. And again, the scientific method 
of learn, observe, measure, ideate, iterate, validate. So essentially, Mike, you're you're not just bringing a startup uh, specialty or subject matter expertise to the table. You, you certainly are, but you're also bringing a framework that helps startups in general kind of progress through the process. And you're almost teaching them along the way, not just mentoring a specific business plan or product. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we've had a lot of people that have never heard of what is Lean Startup? How do I do it? So we have to start with that first. Uh, we have a newly developed pre-accelerator, which does nothing but that, so that we can focus more on the tactical strategy implementation, who to talk to more for the accelerator. Um, that's coming up. And then we also have a third stage, which is the growth phase for accelerators that have already learned about the Lean Startup. They've already demonstrated initial traction and validation of their business model. They have a, a little bit of growth, but it's not like that hockey stick of parabolic growth and exponential scale. And so that's the third part. And so we, what we really do is we attract startups from all over the different lifecycle maturity levels, whether they're people right out of college, people that are in industry that have no experience doing startups, whether they're super technical or business side, meaning like management, finance, whatever. And so a lot of people will come to us and say, hey, like I know of a problem and I need help building it. So then we help with like matchmaking for stuff like that. So it's really, it's really the gamut. Accelerators really do help across the board. And like you said, it's about really connecting people with others that have expertise in that area, whether it's the startup uh, best practices or connecting them with experts in a specific field. And so our mentor network is roughly 300 or so experts from across many different domains to include finance, legal, marketing, everything, enterprise sales, even actual cyber expertise um, and, and cloud. We have all that. And so it helps us connect you so that you can get through that next phase in your process. Mike, you talked about the life cycle and maturity. So it sounds like there are companies that come in at different stages of their ide ideation or different stages of their business development, but it's an application process to get in, right? Not, not anybody can just pop into Mach 37. So what are some of the initial conversations you all have when you're evaluating companies? If you're along that life cycle, I imagine it's different based on where people are. Um, but what, what's going through your heads? What are you looking for? What are you thinking about? What are you seeing? Yeah. So Mach 37 is going into our 10th year next year. And as such, our brand is getting very strong, uh, recognized as the leader in cyber acceleration for uh, emerging technology companies, right? And so our selection process is quite rigorous and we're very selective on who we pick. But with that being said, the categories that we look for is the classic cyber. And when I say classic cyber, it's like the typical intrusion detection, defensive network protection. There's a classic DevSecOps. But a lot of those tools and technologies are really starting to get mature and oversaturated. So what we're really starting to do is kind of position the portfolio to focus more on the next stage, next level of emerging technologies to include like quantum, that's a big one coming up, um, internet of things, edge security, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different technology stacks, uh, physical security, enterprise, like manufacturing security. 5G is, is relatively new, but it's still something that's going to have pervasive impacts around the world. So really, like a lot of new technologies, we have uh, a couple of companies right now that are inside the Web3 decentralized finance area. So a lot of people are asking us, what do you guys think and define as cyber? And we basically say yes. Because what we think is cyber are the multiple 
horizontal layers that support a vertical industry. So manufacturing, but that relies a lot on enabling critical technology so that there's no loss of functionality and revenue and, you know, mission impact. You know, Mike, we used to say uh, five years ago that every company is a tech company and, and that's yeah. really come to, to fruition. But with that, it's now almost become that every company is also a cyber company because with such a big tech component, you have the need for protection and a defensive posture or, or a way to be offensive with defense, if that makes any sense. So, it, I mean, it sounds like you all are right on track with uh, you know trends in the industry and where things are going and, um, and the amount of different protections that are necessary. When you, when you talk about Web3 or decentralized finance or even blockchain, crypto, all that, there are just so many elements now that have a, a, crypt or a security element. So um, it yeah. sounds like the sky's the limit for y'all. Well, totally, Nick. And it's like, think about the difficulty it is to be a normal business startup and having to think about what is your technology and security stack so that your brand new business isn't attacked and now your reputation is lost permanently and your customers abandon you forever. Right. And so people say it's easier and less risky to start a business now. And yes, that's true. But at the same time, there's more liability than you've ever thought of because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know how to secure your uh, infrastructure or even your cloud services, then you're open to that possible embarrassment. And so putting security earlier is, is much better. Mike, can you talk a little bit about the difference in the startups that y'all have and how you advise them differently based on if they're purely a service-based company or if they're a SaaS or a product-based company at all? I imagine there's there's differences there in terms of how you advise and, and how those companies approach their work. Yeah, great question. So most of the companies that we select are product, right? You have a an offering of some sorts that's not dependent on time and labor, right? Because that's very difficult to scale. It's very easy to replicate knowledge and finding more people to train that way. So product cyber companies is what we attract and select. But of those product companies, there needs to be a strong understanding, right, which is a hypothesis of the market and of an existing problem set, an understanding of how big, meaning market size and opportunity, that market could be, and then likelihood of your solution being the right product for that market. And the matching of all those is very important. And uh, at the end of the day, knowing that you have a strong MVP, minimum viable product, or prototype helps tremendously. And the last thing is showing initial traction to show validation of those assumptions and traction that you have early adopters that are using your prototype uh, MVP, that are giving you feedback, that are asking for more features, and most importantly, that are starting to pay, even if it's heavily discounted. But if you have a customer or early customers that are paying for your initial version one product, that is a strong indicator that you have traction to achieve product market fit and that your product can reach the scale and growth phase. I think that's a, a, a fascinating moment to really highlight for folks who are listening. And if, if anybody's here listening that is interested and really wants to know, hey, I'm thinking about a cybersecurity startup, which route do I go? How do I approach this? I think the last 30 to 45 seconds of what you said really kind of outlined the, the trajectory. And I like what you said about not being dependent upon time and labor because you know there's a lot of great companies that build tech products, but there's also a vast majority of tech companies are in the service sector or SaaS sector of some nature. Right. 
Um, so to be able to build something that is not labor and time dependent allows you to scale at a much higher level or at least easier. So I think that's fascinating for any startup, really. Exactly. Uh, and if I can jump yeah, in again, please. is a lot of startups will come back to us or at, at the beginning and say, I'm ready to scale. I'm ready to bring this thing enterprise-wide. Well, what is enterprise-wide? Uh, how big? And I think people are expecting that they'll go straight to the hockey stick exponential growth phase, whereas they've never landed 10 or 100. And that is a 10 times order of magnitude difference going from 10 to 100. So to go to thousands is much, much harder. Your team size may not be there. You may not have the infrastructure. You may not have the funding that is required to get that level of scale and support, right? You may not even have a help desk. And so what we really do is let the founders like pump the brakes a little bit and kind of get that epiphany moment to say, wow, this is much harder than I thought. A lot of technical founders, engineers specifically, focus so much on building the product that they don't focus enough on building the business. And if you don't build the business and get that initial traction, you're going to make a product that no one knows about, that no one can get, that no one use, and no one pays for. And at the end of the day, that's the, that's the definition of no business, right? Mike, you've mentioned that word traction now a few times. And, and I want to come back to that in the context of maybe some of the startups that you've seen. Um, can you highlight for me maybe three different startups that you've seen over your time or that you know about in the Mach 37 um, you know, portfolio? Uh, maybe one that was really successful right out of the gate and in, in instantly had traction, and of course, why that is. Um, one that maybe iterated or struggled a few times, but has since found traction. And maybe one that's still working to gain traction, but has a ton of potential. Yeah. So just for respect of the of the companies, I'm not going to go into the names, but sure. I'll give examples. Uh, one, one company is actively located in Ukraine, like right now, and they have different forms of traction, right? They are helping secure critical infrastructure abroad in the midst of wartime scenarios that's constantly been being bombarded on by Russia. That is very difficult, right? But they've got a level of endorsement and support and, and air quotes buy-in from their local government, the Ukrainian government, and then by virtue support from the United States and our companies that are directly supporting them. So that's a different form of traction. Other companies have made a product that have been picked up by MSSPs, which are basically resellers for IT services and security products. Well, that's great because if you've built something that you've convinced a reseller to put their logo and reputation on the line to sell, then you've taken a lot of the sales and scale off your plate because another company is now incentivized to sell your product, right? And then a third company, and this is all across the board because a lot of these companies have the same type of flavor. They've built their uh, initial products, they've had initial assumptions, uh, but haven't been validated yet. So sometimes they'll iterate on their assumptions or even the product itself, and they're introduced new technology on top of it, for example, like AI or automation. And now they're kind of going back to the drawing board of now they need to validate that that is now of interest. So sometimes they have a product seeking a customer, and it's about getting their name out. And what we need to do is help teach them more about go-to-market strategy, marketing, the importance of outbound communication, how do you attract these type of people, and using customers' actual pain point wording in your marketing material to attract that. So Mike, the ones that kind of move through and do start to iterate and do start to gain a little bit of traction and you get to that end of that 90-day point, 
What types of conversations do you have then? How involved are you beyond the 90-day point? What are you talking about as they kind of go out the door or, you know, fly the nest, whatever you want to say? Um, what is that end point of, of your 90-day process look like? Right. Yeah. Being an accelerator is very rewarding, very challenging. It helps tremendously, but it's also a psychological adaption because you're so used to getting time on target with experts, with mentors, with advisors, and getting direct feedback about your business that sometimes people may get hooked and dependent on that level of ongoing support. But what we do is we manage expectation is like we're a curriculum of best practices and network of people that you can come back and tap. Uh, some of the best founders will actively stay engaged with Mach 37 and say, here's my traction, here's my progress, here's my issues specifically, here's what I need help with, here's who I need introductions to, here's uh, technology or topic areas that I need help learning more about, right? So that's their way of engaging still with the mentors afterwards. A lot of companies, if they have such a good relationship with their mentors, they may even invite them to be part of their board of advisors uh, because they've worked so well with them. They have a trusted relationship. They receive a lot of value from these mentors. So that's one way that they could uh, benefit in the, in the future. Another way is we have something called uh, quarterly reports, which is basically our startup's way of providing back financial and traction metrics to the accelerator. So we can get like inside uh, heads up earlier than later to say, oh, you're having an issue with this. And so that's where we can take that information and go back to our network and say, hey, who can help us with this specific topic? Uh, but one example is two companies just recently reached out to our operations team and asked point blank questions. I need help learning how to get early uh, sales agreements. I need help with XYZ topic. And these companies, we re reached back to the network. Some people responded back with, this is exactly how you do it. Here's our introductions to another expert. And then we provide that back to the startup. So. It's really about what you put into it during the program, who you meet, and fostering those relationships afterwards. It sounds just pretty much like college. Uh, you, you pick your college sometimes based on the experience, but also the network that you have afterward. And that alumni network can really pay dividends. So it sounds like th there is an educational academic aspect to what you, you all have rolling. Exactly. And to your point is what we've seen is no different than any other apprenticeship, right? Is a lot of people learn faster by learning with other colleagues and peers. So you learn within your own crowd or cohort space, but you also have access to the alumni network, which have perhaps years in front of you of development and business maturity. And they may be able to uh, advise you of the next steps in your business process or even empathize with your current situation if you have one that's difficult. Mike, you had mentioned a couple things early on about emerging technologies. I want to dive into that more because that's really the good stuff, I think, for, for my broader audience here. Um, yeah. So when you look at some of the companies coming on board, can, can you dive in a little more and tell me more specifics? What does an emerging technology in cybersecurity really mean to you? You mentioned Web3, you mentioned decentralized finance, you mentioned AI, you mentioned the VR, AR aspect, but what else is there? Can you deep dive for me? What are you seeing your startups come to you with in terms of uh, emerging technologies? Yeah. So creativity is abound, right? Uh, we actually have our own process where we help scout for technology. Like we, we go out into the industry, we search for emerging technology topics. It's called tech scouting. And we also find early stage companies that may be in stealth mode or at the lower level uh, technology readiness level or TRL levels. So they may not be ready to grow. 
But the more we find those early stage technology companies, the more we can help them in their maturity process. For the early stage companies um, in deep tech that's coming out, we're seeing a lot of uh, space tech coming out, a whole bunch of different new applications. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by space tech? Do you mean space astronomy tech or space? Is there another space? What do you mean? Uh, like space communications is a big one, like ensuring uh you know, reliable and secure communications and space assets, uh, helping propagate that technology across Very the cool. different mesh of uh, aeronautics and stuff. <laughs> but what we're seeing is these type of super early stage technologies are so early, it may be too, too early, early to yeah to, to operationalize or productize, right? So that, that tail may be a little bit longer. And so they would come in they would get identified uh, their most risky assumptions and start attacking those things first. And again, it's about who can you get introduced to and maybe that person can help you get to somebody else or help advise in that area of domain. It's really across the board. There, there's some wild new technologies that's going to help the nation, the economy, and other enterprises that's really going to bring our economy to the next level. So, Mike, if you're talking to folks who are out there right now in the cybersecurity industry and are considering or they've had an idea, they have a business concept, it's been in the back of their brain, but they haven't yet pulled the trigger yet. What are uh, one or two pieces of advice you would give to somebody kind of sitting on the sidelines right now with an idea uh, waiting to pull the trigger? Start. You need to identify your emotions, assumptions, and then how do you systematically fix those? validate those. There's nothing more risky than to go and start a business, pour in hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever the amount is, and then not know whether your thing's going to be successful or not. You build a product seeking a fit to a, an existing problem. If you don't know what that problem is, it's not validated. You don't have people screaming that I want this right now and ready to pay, like a pre-signup list. You're going in with risk. So the earlier you start and put down some thoughts, not a business plan, but like just assumptions and risks and then phases, like kind of think this out systematically, the more it'll help you with your prototyping and even customer discovery efforts. If you if you start in that format and not even build your product until later, once you have like that early interest and validation, then you're gonna have higher success in your first version of your prototype. And that's what will get you your early traction that will get you more mentorship and traction earlier uh, later. So it sounds like at that point, there's research involved. If, if you're on the sidelines right now, take some action, but also complement that action with research and, and continue that research along the way to make sure you're validating things that you're assuming along the path. Um, yes. As I'm doing that research, I want to I ask you um, your, your, your thoughts or recommendations you might have for a book, podcast, some sort of media, whether it's the startup world, the cyber world, the tech world. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a pass on the lean startup. You've mentioned that a few times. So I assume that's a textbook for you all. But is there something else that maybe you've read recently or that, that's really um, motivated you or energized you in this, in this space that you could recommend for our audience? I personally subscribe to and listen to religiously um, the Reid Hoffman's podcast, Masters of Scale. And he brings in uh, founders, CEOs of cutting edge companies like Airbnb and, and stuff like that. And you hear it from them, the early stage stories of when Brian Chesky, the CEO, 
was in Y Combinator and was told to leave the premises and go to where his customers are and find out what their problems are right now that they're trying to fix. And he went to Airbnb hosts and learned that the number one problem was professional pictures. And so finding that out, he put that into his system and it changed the, it changed the business and, and the world. So learning from early stage stories from these founders is another form of free, highly accessible mentoring. YouTube uh, has some great resources of how they got their first 100, 1,000 customers. I would do that. I would definitely look into, um, oh, there's some great security uh, podcasts out there. I'm, I'm trying to bl- blank right now. Um, but like, I would find the things that's identifying problems in the industry. And then I would write those down and see, is that something that you can do? Or do you know someone else that can do it with you? And then maybe you can be like the partner to get that to scale, right? So if you're a business person, you go find a CTO and then you say, hey, let's do this. I've done some research, discovery, validation, and I think we can do this. And here's where you would fit in and you can build this product and let's prototype this out. That's fantastic. I Nobody has ever recommended the Masters of Scale podcast. So I, I just checked that out. I'm going to definitely dive into that myself. Last question for you, Mike. You mentioned early on that there are people at all stages of the life cycle that come to you all to get going or to get help or to, to get advancement. Can you talk a little bit about the diversity of people that you see uh, starting these startups? Is it is it all folks right out of college? Is it all relatively uh, younger folks? Is it people who have been CISOs and who really know the industry? Talk to me about the diversity of people that come through your program. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, it's not the CISOs. But after I think about it a little bit more, it kind of makes sense because a CISO is already at like the executive level of the corporation and has experience running large IT operation shops. So that's a lot more risk for them. Um, Maybe they're really good in consulting, but the people who we see often are either people who have done a former business or exit before that wants to do another one because now their first time is in cyber. So somebody who's applied, his last experience was in advertising, completely different, like not technology, uh, cyber related, but he's building a Web3 thing right now. But it's really all, it's all around. It's people either right out of college, it's people that are in industry, so they have some existing experience using certain enterprise tools, finding problems in the workplace at the enterprise level, trying to build a problem, a solution to fit that problem. And so they have that like experience where they can get more insight into a potential business. Whereas if they didn't have any of that experience before, how would you know what to start? So it's kind of across the board. We've, we actually have helped do panelist uh, judging on various cyber club pitching for universities. And so there's a lot of interest down there also. So they're coming up through the process. They're learning about the different technologies. They're learning about the different methodologies. And I think that's the next phase that's going to be coming up a lot more is the, the younger demographics. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for running us through Mach 37 uh, and designing for a cybersecurity startup. If you're out there and you're in the cyber industry, I hope you found some good nuggets here, uh, maybe not just for startups, but in your day-to-day business as well. I think there's a lot of uh, nuggets you, you mentioned, Mike, about just research and testing and iterating and and even scalability in any job, I think, is, is relevant. So thanks for everything you've done and, and for uh, bringing this to the table today. If folks are interested in Mach 37, interested in applying, can you talk about where to go? What's the timeline? Uh, what are we looking at if I want to get involved in Mach 37? 
Yeah. Uh, so our website, mach37.com, M-A-C-H-37.com, has the listing of the information. There's an apply button. You can click that. You can apply, put in your company profile, your biographic information like your history, what makes you qualified to do this, your problem statement. And for as far as timing, we have two cohorts per year, fall and spring. We're very selective. We're right about six to eight uh, cohort startups per session. We're looking to expand that more to have technology-specific cohorts coming up that's being explored. But yeah, I would definitely just go out there and check out the website and apply, put your name in the ring. And you, even if you're not selected for this cohort coming up or even the next one, the fact that you're in the database means that we'll, we can come back, check out your profile in the future, re-invite you, and, uh, and, and keep in touch. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate your time, appreciate your expertise, and thanks again for introducing us to Mach 37. Thanks so much, Nick. And thanks to all of you for joining us on another episode of Tech by Design. My name is Nick Surface. I'm with the Richmond Technology Council. And as always this season, we are presented by Shaco Mobile by Design. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Tech by Design. <laughs>